Our reading tonight is taken from Acts chapter 17. So if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 17 in the Pew Bibles, and it's going to be read to us by David here. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 15. Let us listen to God's word. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought them to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks to those who have led us in the service so far. Can I encourage you to turn back to Acts chapter 17? And before we think about Acts 17 together, let me pray. Father, as we come, we come looking forward to that day whenever faith does turn to sight and prayer to praise. But Father, until that day, you have given us a job today. And Father, that is to be lights for you, to be speakers of your word. And so, Father, we turn now to your word, to learn more from it, to gain a better understanding of who you are, to understand more of our need of you. And so, Father, in your mercy, open your word to us. Show us our need and then show us how Christ meets that need. And we ask this all in your name and for your glory. Amen. 
Police in Missouri put out in this past week a warning that was both terrifying and bizarre. Armed robbers were believed to be targeting people hunting for Pokemon. That's right, if you don't know it, Pokemon are computerized little monsters. And the victims were playing the new game Pokemon Go, a new smartphone app that encourages gamers to go round the local area to find Pokemon in the real world. So if you've been out on the street seeing all these people with their phones stopping at certain points, Bloomfield is a pokey stop, just if you need to know that information. <laughs> Getting people to go out with their phone, but into the real world, walking around the place trying to find Pokemon. It has more users every day now than Twitter, and it has increased Nintendo's share price by more than 33%. This game is credited with changing the way in which games are played and in which they're going to be played from now on because it combines real-world activity with handheld gaming. Who ever thought that a Pokemon could change the world? Tonight, though, we come to think about what has changed the world. Tonight, we come to think about the gospel to know that it has changed and will change the world. We come to think about the gospel and how people respond to it. In our Sunday evening series, we've been looking at the book of Acts, looking at sections of Paul's missionary journeys. And last week, we saw how the good news of Jesus arrived in Europe for the first time. As Paul, Silas, and Timothy went to Philippi, we heard of the first convert, Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened to receive the message. We heard the story of the slave girl. We followed the arrest of Paul and Silas and the conversion of the jailer. Tonight, Paul has reached the Greek city of Thessalonica. And what he does and what happens helps to demonstrate the power of the gospel to change lives. It shows the hunger and need there is for the gospel but it also demonstrates the offense the gospel can cause. In this passage, we're shown truths. We're given necessary encouragement as we seek to share the same gospel message today. And so from this passage, we're going to think about three things. We're going to think about the message that Paul brought. We're going to think about the response. It resulted in belief and we're going to think about the alternate response, hostility. Firstly then, the message. In much of Acts, Paul has a pattern, and his pattern was that on his arrival in a new town, he'd head to the Jewish synagogue. We read in verse 2, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Paul was a visiting rabbi coming to a large congregation, and the people he was speaking to, he had a lot in common with. They assumed there was a true God and that he'd made himself known through what we would know as the Old Testament. They took for granted the belief that God had promised a deliverer king, a Messiah who would one day bring rescue for his people, who would one day complete justice for the world. 
But Paul comes to these Jewish people and says, Jesus is the one that you have been looking for. He's getting up in the synagogue and he's telling the people, you've got it wrong. We're not waiting on a Messiah because the Messiah has come and it is Jesus. But no doubt those who were listening to him would have said, how can that be? If Jesus really was the Messiah, why is he not ruling in Jerusalem? Why are we, his people, not ruling with him? You see, Paul's message was not just about Jesus, but it was about what Jesus did and what happened to him. The Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. If those Paul was speaking to in the synagogue had really understood the Old Testament, they would have seen that there were two key things about the Messiah. He was to be the reigning king who would rule, but he was also to be the suffering servant who would die for his people. And we find those two things in Christ alone. Familiar verses from Isaiah tell us he was crushed for our iniquities because all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, Paul was getting up in front of a group of people who had identified 613 commandments from the Old Testament. 613 commandments, they couldn't keep them and we couldn't keep them. We can't fulfill them. We can't keep them all. We can never make ourselves good enough for God. And so we praise God this evening for Christ. We praise God this evening for Jesus, that He has taken the cost of our failure to live God's way. He's borne upon Himself the offense God rightly feels against our rebellion. We praise God this evening because Jesus has opened the way for forgiveness. But Paul just doesn't talk about a crucified Savior because for Paul, the death of Jesus would have meant nothing but tragedy had he not been raised from the dead. Because without Christ's resurrection, there would be no victory over death and the grave. There'd be no means of knowing for sure that Jesus' righteousness was acceptable to God nor could we ever be sure if Jesus was who he said he was or anything else that he said was actually true. With Christ dying and rising again, he showed that he was the Christ. He was the Son of God, and he is reigning. And we know that as followers of him, one day too, we will have a renewed, resurrected body in the world to come. Paul comes with this message. He's clear about the message he brings. It speaks of Christ. It speaks of a Savior. It speaks of one who died. It speaks of one who rose again. And he comes with this message because he knew firsthand of the importance of it was. He knew the need of the message. He knew how it could change lives. It was the message he traveled thousands of miles sharing, a message he wanted all to know. Paul was clear in his message. And for those who listened to the message, it secondly, for some of them, led to the response of belief. Paul came and he was clear in his message. He got the gospel over by being central, Christ-centered. 
by keeping Scripture in the right place. He appealed to the mind that God could use, and he got it all across using the Bible. And what happened? Verse 4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. This is consistent with what Paul writes to the Thessalonian church sometime later, and we can read of it in 1 Thessalonians. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with great conviction. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then back in Acts 17, verse 10, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Paul came with the message. Paul was clear in the message. He talked about Christ. He talked about the need of a Savior. He talked about a resurrected Savior. And what happened? People believed. When the gospel is communicated, surely we should trust that God will work. When the gospel is communicated, surely we should believe that God is going to use it to open people's eyes, to draw people to himself. But it's easy not to believe this. It's easy to lose confidence. Because we know that sharing the gospel, talking to people about Jesus, talking about our faith, talking about the need of a Savior, well, we don't find it easy to do. But we mustn't lose our conviction about the power of God's Word. Hebrews 4 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates. It judges the thoughts of the heart. Paul came and he opened up the Bible. He taught the Bible. He explained the Bible. He reasoned with people. He told them that they needed a Savior God used it to draw people to Himself. We need to do what Paul did. Scripture gives us all that we need. The same God that we read Paul speaking about is the same God today. The same patterns of unbelief that Paul was dealing with, well, they're the same patterns of unbelief today. The same Savior who brings hope to the hopeless is the same Savior we worship today. How good at we how good are we at bringing the gospel? How good are we at talking about the gospel and sharing the gospel in our homes, our workplaces, our schools, universities, our streets? How good are we at sharing the gospel in this place? Sometimes it may mean that we need to be blunt and direct. We're talking about eternal issues. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about heaven or hell and there's no other choice in between. If we really believe that we are saved, surely that's our motivation. If we really believe that we are saved by grace, if we really believe that Christ has saved us from eternity in hell, 
well then surely we should want to go out and tell people about it. We need to help people see and make connections to the gospel. We need to be intentionally deliberate in our relationships. But sharing the good news using the Bible doesn't mean that we throw Bible texts at people. Look what we're told here. Paul reasoned from the Scriptures. He explained them. He proved the significance of Jesus from them. Later on in the chapter, he outlines the Bible's key teachings without mentioning the Bible explicitly when talking to those who weren't familiar with it. But what we need to do is we need to let the Bible shape our conversation, shape our content, shape our conversations. I think the question this evening is, do we believe the gospel is effective? Do we believe it's worth speaking to people about Jesus? Do we believe that people can be saved? Do we believe those we know can be persuaded, like the people in Thessalonica and Berea? Do we really believe the Word of God is sufficient to accomplish the work of God? The great 19th century preacher C.H. Spurgeon was once talking with one of his students about his preaching. He said, you don't believe anyone is going to become a Christian when you tell them about Jesus, do you? No, said the student. Well, that's why they don't, replied Spurgeon. We have a message to take out into the world. God is at work through that message. What a reminder this evening. What a reminder this evening that God is, has, and will use His Word to draw people to Himself. Let's be confident in the message that we have to share. But we must also notice that there was another response. Not everyone believed. Because the truth is, that when it's grasped, the Christian message can produce, cannot produce a neutral response, because either we accept it or we reject it. The cross is offensive. Telling people they're sinners, that they need a savior, that they can't save themselves, that they're not good enough, it's offensive. And rejection can sometimes be aggressive and make the life of the one sharing the message pretty tough. Not everyone who heard the word that Paul brought responded with belief. The jealous religious establishment, when they saw people were being persuaded by Paul and Silas and joining them, rounded up some bad characters from the town center and started a riot. Then they went further and tried to get the civil officials on their side, and they made accusations against Paul. They've caused trouble all over the world. They're defying Caesar's decree. They're saying there is another king called Jesus. We've just been reminded that the gospel saves. And here we are with a timely reminder that communicating the gospel of Christ will bring opposition. 
We must trust and expect that God will work, and some will be persuaded, some will believe when we speak and share the gospel. But we must also be prepared for disappointments, for struggles, for oppression, for opposition, and for hostility. We trust and amaze in God who offers a powerful message that can change people, that can break down the hardest resistance, but it's also a message that will bring opposition. Let's not be surprised by that, and let's never give up. We will beat them, and all the things they have will be taken. The ultimatum from a Hindu extremist group threatened, who threatened any Christian who would gather to worship in their village. Some members fled to the nearby city where they found refuge through a local pastor. Those who remained discovered the threats were not empty. Militants recruited a mob from 21 surrounding villages in northern India. The group descended on the congregation on the Sunday morning, yelling insults, tearing up Bibles, and using large bamboo sticks to strike men, women, and children alike. One woman recounted the attack to the pastor, whose congregation had plundered her village church. The mob had chased her, yelling, let's kill her, let's finish her off. When she sought refuge inside her home, they threw large stones on the corrugated roof until it collapsed. Gaining entrance, they beat her with sticks, smashed every possession, great and small, stole her legal documents and life savings. The village woman, attacked by the mob, testified that the truth of God's word pulsated through her heart when her life was at stake. Even if I am beaten, it's all joy. Those of us who were beaten are the privileged ones. So we live for Christ, and when we die, we die for Christ. We have completely given our lives into the hand of Jesus. And then let's think back to our passage from verse 5. The Jews were jealous. They rounded up bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus." When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. Why did that lady in that Indian village keep trusting in Christ? Why didn't Jason turn round whenever those officials came in through the door and said, I disown Paul. I don't want to know about a Savior that he speaks about. Why did they keep on going? Why didn't they throw in the towel? Why were they willing to face hostility and oppression? Because they knew Jesus Christ. 
they didn't stop to say, is this still fun? Is this Jesus thing still meeting my needs? Or even are the rest of my family and friends still involved? They stopped and asked, is Jesus still Lord? Nothing had changed, and so they kept going. This is what faith in Christ allows you to do. You can keep on going whenever times are rough, keep on going in the midst of suffering, hostility, and persecution. They didn't need philosophical answers. They just knew that God was there. They just knew that God cares. We know that we are living in a changing world. And as Christians, we don't know what hostility, opposition, persecution we may have to face in this next week, next month, next year, or next decade. We don't know where God may call any of us to serve Him. We know that we have a message to share. We know that that message will lead some to belief, and we praise God for that but it will also need some to be hostile to the gospel. How do you remain committed whenever life is difficult? How do you be persuaded that God loves you? Well, it comes back to the message, that message that Paul shared, that Christ outside city walls rejected and alone. Satan thought that he had won, but Christ cried out, it is finished. Paul's mission was based on telling people about Jesus. And in telling people about Jesus, he reminded himself of why he was standing there. He reminded himself of why he was willing to be chased out of town, moving from village to village, town to town, city to city, but yet still wanting to proclaim the gospel. He reminded himself of what he was doing this for, and it was adrenaline into his soul. Hebrews 11 is an amazing passage, and the message version puts these few verses this way. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's with God in heaven, reigning for eternity. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again and let that encourage your soul. We do not know what trials and difficulties we may have to face when we share the gospel. We don't know what law changes or what may persecution may arrive on these shores. And God doesn't always give answers, but God always gives himself. If God is for us, who can be against us? God who sent his son to die for us is with us. He loves us. He's on our side. We may face trials, trouble, hardship, sword, and persecution when we share the gospel, but we are more than conquerors. At Easter time, 
I had the privilege to go to Word Alive conference in Wales and hear Vaughan Roberts speaking. And he recounted a difficult family situation that he was going through. And he said his father told him these words, and they've stuck with me since. John 3.16 deals with death, and Romans 8.28 deals with life. So as Christians, what are we worried about? We have a hope of something much greater. Serving Jesus Christ can provoke jealousy and turmoil. It can prove costly both physically and emotionally. Are we ready to take up the cause of the gospel in a way Paul and those early apostles did? Are we praying for those who are encountering such hostility to stay firm and steady in the face of such opposition? We need to ensure that Christ is our treasure, so much so that we're ready to endure anything for Him. Are we ready? Do we love Christ that much? Former Prime Minister Winston Churchill was invited in his old age to speak at Harrow School. He was introduced, got slowly to his feet, shuffled to the lectern and said, never, 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 never give up. And he sat down. And I take it Churchill said that because he knew from experiencing that giving up is a constant temptation. Sharing the gospel may lead some to respond positively, but for others, their buttons may be really pressed. The gospel may get under their skin and irritate them. It may provoke them to opposition towards those who have brought the message. But we mustn't give. So much of the acts of the apostles as we have seen and we're going to see over these next few weeks shows us that God's message goes on spreading because of and in spite of human opposition. We trust an amazing God who offers a powerful message that can, has, and will change people, that can break down the hardest resistance, but it's also a message that will bring opposition. Let's not be surprised by that, but let's never give up sharing the gospel, following Paul's example, telling that message to everyone, because we all need a Savior. This is eternal issues it's speaking of. But we do this, trusting in our hope, trusting in our strength, trusting in the gospel, trusting in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have been at work through your Holy Spirit this evening. And Father, may the words of me be forgotten and may only your words and your message remain. Father, help us to think what it means to be messengers for you. May we rejoice 
whenever we see people responding to that message in faith, trust, and belief. But Father, may we also be prepared to face hostility for sharing that message. Father, help us to see what that looks like in our lives, in our situations. May we be bold. May we have faith and confidence in you and in your word. Give us eternal perspective. And may we do it all, reminded of our hope. And we ask this in your name. Amen. And now to him who's able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.